Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your, great, your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Deanna. Please keep your Bibles open because we'll be looking at those verses in detail. It's somewhat, just thinking this week, it's somewhat ironic to me that if I back up to my 10th grade year and think about my world history class, nothing could have been less interesting to me than a specific unit of world history. And that unit of history, and I apologize to history teachers, because actually I do love history. Please don't give it. I love world history. But I remember all of us enduring the unit on ancient Mesopotamia, the Sumerian culture, cuneiform, and it just would go on and on and on. And I had no time for it because there were all these important things in my life, all these important things like sports and girls and grades and youth group. Did I mention girls? And big plans I had. And I'll admit that my priorities then probably left a lot to be desired. But Sumerians would be in the bottom half of the bottom 1% of my priorities at that point. I just needed to get through a class and get a good grade. It's ironic because here I sit in Newark, Delaware in 2022, greatly affected by words spoken to a man in ancient Sumeria. My week has been thinking about a move one man in that culture, one move he made. So the man's name is, in this text, Abram. He gets renamed Abraham. And I've been thinking about that all week long. There's so many things that this world would tell you are very important. If you turn on the TV this afternoon and watch a little football, I promise you, car insurance will be a very high priority to the marketers. And I promise you, uh, you'll be told of all the fun you supposedly could have by gambling your whole afternoon away with FanDuel and Caesar Sportsbook. And if that's not your thing, then you could certainly scroll about inflation rates. You could get caught up on the, the impact of the latest election. Depending on who you are and what your interests are, there's a lot of important stuff out there, isn't there? For some of you, let me just acknowledge something. I mean, I, I don't know everybody where your heart is, where your heart is when it comes to reading about someone in ancient Sumeria. I don't know if you're tempted to do with God's word what I was tempted to do in 10th grade with world history, and that's like just kind of tune it out, get the basic information, and then just move on as quickly as I could. But I want to challenge you today. I actually want to give you a challenge to lean in, to lean in hard. Listen to what God says through his word describing this ancient man, Abraham. Because I do believe God has a word for us today. I probably should set the table because we're, we're in Genesis 12. And of course, we won't cover all of Genesis 1 to 11. But I at least do want to bring you up to speed in case you're dropping into our series here. Because we have been looking at this 
theme of knowing God through the first part of Genesis. The world at the end of Genesis 11 has some features, and I just, again, very briefly, let me acknowledge those features. So when we come to Genesis 11, we are in a world, according to Genesis 9, it's a world that will not be wiped out again by the flood. It won't happen again. That's that's the promise in Genesis 9. And it's not because everybody has learned to get everything right. It's not because from the time of Genesis 9, we only live in a moral world. Now, that's not the case. It's not that every human being just always is the best version of themselves, so God doesn't have to send any judgment anymore. That's far from the reality. It actually is just this. The world won't be destroyed by a flood only because of God's mercy, God's merciful decision not to do it again. And what God does in Genesis 9 is begin to lay the groundwork for how he and humans are going to relate. So, Genesis 9, as you come into Genesis 10, it's a world where the population is spread out. So we talked about this a little bit last week. The population is spread out and there are diverse cultures and lands and ethnicities and nations and traditions. So that's what Genesis 10 gives us, gives us a lot more than that. Genesis 11, again, a passage that we read last week, story of the Tower of Babel was this picture of everybody trying to assimilate together. And it gives us a picture of what happens if you try to assimilate everybody together without God in the center directing it all. And it tells us that will always and only be a disaster. Just a matter of time for humans to get together, write God out of the equation, and think they can unify and assimilate together. It will only be a disaster. And just think of the downward spiral we've read in Genesis 1 to 11. I mean, think about all the ways it's just messed up, contaminated, corroded. How about the relationship with God? How about relationship with the spouse? How about relationship with creation? How about relationships with each other? How about relationship with technology? How about relationships within a culture? It all tanks. It all tanks. It isn't a pretty picture. Summing it all up without God's intervention, we don't have a shred of hope changing any of these dynamics. Certainly not permanently. We can band-aid whatever, but it's not going to be a permanent fix. Far from it. They didn't get it all fixed in Genesis 1 to 11. We're not going to get it fixed today. Which makes Genesis 12 so strong. God's word in Genesis 12, so strong and actually so important. And I think actually so relevant So relevant is the fact in Genesis 12, it describes a movement of God. And actually, I want us to divide it up a little bit and see two movements of God. So the first movement is this. First movement of God is that God speaks to us. And through his speaking, he intervenes and he initiates. Do you see that? We're going to read it in just a moment, but God speaks to us. This is the movement of God toward us. Genesis 12 isn't first a record of us speaking to God. It's God speaking to us. And through his speaking, he intervenes and he initiates. Notice the text, Genesis 11 is motoring along. So if you have Genesis 12, you can just look one chapter over and you see it's motoring along after the Tower of Babel and it's introducing us to this person and this family and this people group and it's tracing genealogies. And then it switches gears. Like we have a gear shift. And in verse 27 
there's a spotlight on the family of Terah. Terah. Kind of zero spotlights on him. And then also, and, and you see there as well, we see one of his descendants, Abram, gets the spotlight there in 27. And we're told in verse 29, kind of again zeroing in on Abram. Now we know Abram had a wife. The wife of Abram was Sarai, who becomes, again, renamed Sarah later on. And the lineage keeps, like you would think it keeps going, but in verse 30, do you see it there? comes to a screeching halt because it tells us Sarai was barren. So, I mean, did you hear the genealogy? This person fathered this person, this person fathered this person, and then we have kind of the breaks come on. The lineage stops, and it's the heartbreaking impact of infertility. Which I don't, I'm guessing a lot of families are not strangers to that. All the names of the family tree don't override the pain of what happens when there's a desire for a child and the child doesn't come. It is in these settings, just kind of footnote, these are the kind of settings where God does his best work. Humans have nothing they can do and God does his best work in these kinds of scenarios, showing his strength through weakness. We're told in verse 31, the family moves. They're headed toward Canaan land from Ur. But the whole family doesn't get there. Do you see that? They stop in Haran. And it's at that point that God speaks. So then, again, you go into chapter 12, and it's at that point that God actually does speak. So Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go. Go from your, notice your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house to the land that I will show you, a massive intervention by one word from God, one word. Abram and Sarai's life will never be the same, one word. It reminds me a little bit like Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light, and nothing is ever the same. God said, let there be, I mean, God speaks in just one word, and it just changes things. It changes the direction of everything. So much is initiated when God speaks. God speaks to us, and through his speaking, he intervenes in our lives. He initiates things. Can I personalize that a little bit? Because this isn't just something like this isn't ancient history lesson. I chose the words carefully. God speaks to us. Let's make sure this is landing here in our hearts. Anyone who has come to know the Lord in a personal way knows something about God intervening, right? About God taking the initiative. If you've come to know the Lord, you know something about that. God takes the initiative to open your eyes to see the truth about Jesus. The words, the message of the cross, God speaks speaks to us, and we aren't the same. God opens our eyes. He opens our ears to hear the message of who Jesus is. We aren't the same. Now we rest our lives. We rest everything we have on him, but he took the initiative to us. We place our lives in the hands of Jesus, Jesus who we don't see now, and yet we believe. We don't, we can't lay eyes on him right now, but we love him. 
We sang to him. We sang about him. We love only because Jesus loved us first. God continues to take the initiative. God continues to intervene in life as we know it. You could tell the stories. In this room, surely it would be filled with documented records of God intervening, God taking the initiative. At least I hope you can tell that story. Oh, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, people, I mean, you might be able to account for lots of things in your life as random, coincidence. But I want to remind you, God doesn't do random. God has his plan. God is directing. And frankly, just chalking up something to being random just really doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy long-term. And that isn't just because, listen, that's not just because we're gullible. That's not just because we have to have religion or Christianity as a crutch. Far from that. No, it's because you are an embodied soul. That's who you are. That's why random just really doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy thinking like we're just material and molecules coming, like that's why it just doesn't satisfy us deep down in the core of who we are because we know something. We're an embodied soul. We were made for a relationship with God. We're made to process things spiritually. God made you for a relationship with him. And so God intervenes in the relationships, maybe the ones you enjoy, but God also intervenes in the relationships that frustrate you to no end. God intervenes in the family that has left its impact on you, sometimes for good, sometimes in very painful ways. God intervenes through that. God initiates through that. God has given you the identity he has, initiating work in your life, saying, you don't get to make up who you are. I'm telling you who you are. This is who you are. God intervenes in the disaster that's unraveling your life right now, where you feel like there is no way out. God works through meetings and conversations and diseases. And God works through friends. God works through conferences and camps. God works through a person just listening. God works through coworkers and neighbors. And at the core, God has intervened and initiated and continues to intervene and continues to initiate good work in our lives. It rarely makes us comfortable. But God is present. It rarely goes the way we expect it to go. But he's at work, which means you better sit up and take notice I don't mean to talk from a place being high and mighty. I'm talking to myself like I better sit up and take notice. God is speaking. We shouldn't turn the the volume down. If I have fears or if I'm just kind of complacent about it all and yet in this moment I hear God's voice speaking, I ought to stare down those fears and lean hard into Jesus. 
And I press further. I, this idea of God speaking to us, well then, well, you ought to set yourself, I ought to set myself up for encounters where I hear from him. And I don't mean to get spooky here. I, I just mean like, are there times where you're regularly reading scripture or listening to scripture where you're hearing him speak to you? Have you, have you disciplined yourself for that kind of input into your life, for God's intervention and initiation? Listen, God knows how to get our attention, but why would we not just open up our hearts wide and go, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I want to hear your voice. What about not just reading it in your personal quiet time, but even as we finish up our service here in a moment, there will be rooms in this, on this campus filled with people that are going to open God's word together And it isn't just going to be one person behind a podium, but it's going to be multiple people speaking God's word together. And then all throughout the week, there are going to be times where men and women are going to get together and study God's word together. And then in in homes in this area, there are going to be over meals or maybe community groups, there are going to be people that are speaking God's word and God's going to initiate and intervene again and again. Shouldn't we set ourselves up to hear God's voice? I can't think of many things that would be better uses of our time. I can't imagine of habits that are more important to daily cultivate. And you go like, I've just never been good at it. Well, let's try again. Why would we say that could never change? Why wouldn't we lean into hearing God speak? It's profound. It's not, I don't know, in some ways it's not even super complicated. God speaks and God intervenes. I just want you to see it in the life of Abram. But I actually want you to see another movement of God. And uh, I'm so grateful even as Deanna read, just highlighting our attention before she read to this idea, and that is that God blesses us. Not only does God speak to us, but the next movement of God is God blesses us. And he, got, he blesses us, giving us unearned favor. I think we could also say in calling us to unqualified reliance on him. God blesses us. I know what's on the screen is is maybe a lot to take in. We're going to take it apart kind of piece by piece, and I want you to see it in the passage. We're going to spend time thinking about that unearned favor. I want us to make sure we understand exactly what it means that God does bless us. But can we zero in on that idea of unqualified reliance on God? Unqualified reliance on God. Where do I get that? I get that from verse 1 where... Uh, of Genesis 12, where it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country to the land I will show you. And I get that from verse 4, where it says what? So Abram went. I mean, the word's simple. I mean, a lot of life and a lot of, a lot of prayer and probably a lot of thinking, a lot of meditating, a lot of processing goes in. But at one level, you have verse 1 saying, God told Abram, Go. And verse 4, so Abram went to, when as the Lord told him, Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Unqualified reliance on God, despite the fact that it was a lot to give up. It's easy to just read statements like that. Abram went and not really process how much he had to give up. How much did he have to give up? Abram is leaving so many familiar things that he had never known that he had never known anything else but that, going to a completely new place. And there is this idea of being ripped from family ties, which maybe in 2022, you're living far from where your family is and maybe your family's 
like mine just spread out all over the country? Not so in ancient times. Like how much would you be vulnerable in kind of nomadic tribal, tribal times where the security of a family, a clan, a, a, a tribe, a unit, like how much would that mean to have that kind of security around you? Now he's being called to go to a place where how vulnerable he would be. Despite the vulnerability of being alone in a new world, he depends totally on God's direction. No holding back. God's grace, someone said, demands a simple but total response. Just leave everything and go. And he heads toward Canaan. Whatever reservations he had, and he might have had them. I, I don't know if he'd be human and not have them. Whatever questions, doubts. Did he always retain a level of consistent faith, like 100% certain all the time? I doubt it. I don't. I doubt he did. But his action keeps him moving toward what God wanted, where God wanted him to be. So, again, God blesses us by giving unearned favor. He, he didn't just do that in the past. He gives you unearned favor. And he calls you to un qualified reliance. By the way, I choose the word reliance. I certainly could have used the word faith. But I wonder in church circles if faith gets so common that it's just kind of maybe too generic for just, you know, kind of my, my faith tradition or my faith system. I don't think Abram's just leaning, leaning on a faith tradition here. Kind of a, a cultural religion. He is relying on something. I, I, I like that word. His hope is resting on something. His family, his future, his reputation, his success, his strength, his accomplishments, his sustaining, his provision. He's resting. He's counting on God to deliver. It sounds almost childlike at some level. Child almost thinks through none of that and just depends on their parents to take care of them. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Like, this is how you're going to come to me. Come to, come to me with reliance, with faith as a child, depending on their heavenly father. This is the only, way you, the only way you can come. So strong here. I mean, we could all chase a bunch of things trying to find ourselves. Abram's not trying to find himself. The Lord said go, and so he went. It's interesting to me in the rest of the chapter, it'll tell us he goes to this place and pitches a tent and he goes to this place and pitches a tent. So those seem very temporary, but you know what he, you know what's permanent for Abraham is when he builds altars in two times. In light of God speaking to him, he builds an altar. God met me here. God met me here. Such a demonstration of his reliance. I do want us to think about that idea of blessing. I don't know what words kind of form in your head when you think of the idea of blessing. Probably some idea of favor, goodwill. I, I've been helped this week, maybe a lens that will help us kind of think through the idea of blessing. Came across this writer, theologian, I think he's even done mission work, a man named Stephen Bryan, who said, blessing is this dynamic force giving the capacity to reach the full potential of design or purpose. 
And I, I like that. Blessing is this dynamic force giving the capacity to reach the full potential of whatever the design or the purpose was. So when you begin to read, like, again, like if you put those lenses on and you begin to read through, okay, when it says God blesses, God blesses Abram. Okay, what, is, what does that exactly mean? I think I'd expand a little bit more because it's not just a dynamic force. For Abraham, it is the dynamic power of God. It's very personal. But, but I like that idea of fulfillment and, and purpose because there's a couple of keys that are important in understanding that definition, right? There's a recognition of this is what you were designed to be. This is what you're created to be. This is the purpose that I'm making you for. This is the element. This is why this was made. So it's a recognition of that. And then I love the other element of this definition of the dynamic power of God working for that, working for you so that when God blesses you, there's a recognition of what you were designed to do, but there's God's power for you on your behalf making it happen. God conferring that. Like when I pray, I'm praying for God to do something. I'm asking God to do this, to use his dynamic power to, to create something in your life that's exactly what you're designed for. I ask God for him to bless you. God doesn't have to ask anybody to bless anybody. That power is inherent. He just confers it on us. I mean, it, it, it blows our mind. And you know what, minus the concept of God in this, the best concept we have, I mean, the best thing we have is something akin to, like, good luck. Okay, what, what do we say when you haven't earned it, you didn't work for it, it's not about your ability? We would just say, you just got lucky. That was a lot of good luck. And good luck is our kind of stand-in for some force or some chance that causes improbable good things to happen. And that is just 100% what we're not talking about here. It is just God's design. God for us. Think about this. So God blesses the animals in Genesis 1. And they do the work that he designed them to do. And God blesses humans. And they do the work that he designed them to do. It says God blesses the Sabbath, the seventh day. And it does the work that God intended for it to do. God blessed Noah. And so coming out of the ark, he is fruitful, multiplies, and generations spread. And this idea of blessing comes up again and again and again. You know, five times in Genesis up to this point, you read the word curse. In Genesis 1 to 11, you read curse five times. And Deanna already reminded us, Genesis 12, you read blessing five times. It's as if God is just unwinding, undoing the curse. Does that help us as we hear the promises to Abram? Because these are stacked, loaded promises. Can we go back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3 again and like hear it with that idea of blessing? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, right? So the backdrop is this land. Even though it's not fully developed, it will. In other passages, that promised land will be developed. But the first blessing that Abram gets is, see at verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. God says, I'm going to do that. This isn't just going to happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you a great nation. Which explains a whole lot of the kind of why Scripture is the way it is. Because a lot of other, no other holy book is quite like the Bible. You have holy books that have wise sayings, kind of timeless stories. 
and you get into scripture, and it's not just it's not just wise sayings and impressive miracle stories and liturgies and cliches. As a matter of fact, I mean the Bible can be a strange book, right? A strange book. I mean we have the civil laws of a nation, but but that's because God's plan here is I'm going to make you not just I'm going to I'm going to do a lot of good stuff for you, Abram. It's not just that. I'm going to make you a great nation. And so we have the civil laws of a nation. We have the national history. We have books of history. Here's what happens to the nation of Israel, the great nation of Israel. We have the records. We have religious warnings to this nation. We have the highs and lows of this nation. We have rituals and holidays of this nation. We have the monarchy of this nation. We have symbols of this nation. Makes a lot more sense of why Scripture is the way it is when we realize God promised to make a great nation. And a lot of the rest of the Bible unpacks exactly how he did that. But he says more. He does say, I will bless you. And he does say, I will, I will give you a great name. It seems like the opposite of Tower of Babel where they were going to make a name for themselves. And God says, you can't do that for yourself but I will do that for you. And he says, you will be a blessing. I want you to see, like, I think conceptually and sometimes like drawing diagrams and arrows and ideas like that help me. So I want you to see that is how exactly they are to be a blessing. So you see God is going to bless the family of Abraham and they're going to be a blessing to the peoples of this earth. They're going to carry the capacity of blessing. Time fails us, but we could get into how Joseph blessed the peoples of this earth. We could talk about how Jonah came with a message of blessing to the people of Nineveh. We could talk about how Daniel blessed the people in Babylon. We could talk about how Esther and Mordecai blessed the people in Persia. We could talk about how Nehemiah returning and blessing the area. I mean, we could go on and on of how God, I mean, this is the story of Scripture. God blesses. And the peoples of the earth are blessed. But look at, look at 12, 1 through 3 again. God actually says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. So again, the traffic there is actually going in a different direction. I'm going to bless those who bless you. If we were to kind of overlay that on the, the diagram, we would find it looking something like God blessing the peoples of the earth because they're blessing the, the family of Abraham. And don't you just see a community of blessing. Now, this was God's intent. This is God's intent. Scripture speaks, it kind of leans into that. And, of course, we could talk about the story of Rahab, who blessed God's people. And we could talk about the story of Ruth, who blessed God's people. Just symbols here of what God promised to do. Just miniature examples of something great that God is going to do. People of all nations living under his rule, under his blessing. There's so much we more we could develop. But Can I take it to one more level here? Because scripture speaks of us, actually us blessing God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. How do we bless God? We're certainly not giving him the capacity to do what he is designed to do. Far from that, but it's just, it's worship realizing when he does that, it's a beautiful thing. And so do you see how this unfolds? They're the peoples of the earth. There's a family of Abraham blessing God, God blessing people, blessing each other. It's like Psalm 72, which says, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed, all nations in the earth be blessed. 
Frankly, this feels like a picture of reading Revelation, where you've got people from every tribe and every tongue, but you still have even the idea of the nation of Israel, and you have some blending of that, of blessing each other in praise and worship of the one true God. I think we can map ourselves on, which is why I took the liberty of doing that there, you and me. Assuming you're a part of the, not a part of the family of Abraham, but you're peoples of the earth. Either way, you're folded up into this blessing. You're folded up into this blessing. I know we're not the main characters in this story. And it's healthy to remind you, well, I'm not the center of anything. But it is still helpful for us to be reminded this story isn't just about them, it's about us. So I don't know where you walk in, kind of the you and me there in the bottom right corner. I don't know where your life is broken and weak and tired. I don't know where maybe even this week you felt like you are just an absolute head case in how you process things. I don't know where you had heartbreaks and disappointments. I don't know where you gave it your best and it wasn't enough. I don't know where you gave it far from your best. And just for no, no explained reason, you just, you just didn't, didn't do more than you could. But God is still intent on blessing us. The promise in Genesis 12 is staggering in you, Abram, in your family. All families of the earth are going to be blessed. Of course you know where we see that fulfillment. I know it's a Sunday school answer, but I learned a lot of good things in Sunday school. We see that fulfillment in Jesus, don't we? I mean, while the nation of Israel tried and failed to be a blessing to other nations many times, there was one who didn't just try. He succeeded. He succeeded. The word became flesh. Talk about God intervening. Talk about God initiating. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw Jesus, John said. He came at just the right time. He came to seek and to save the lost. He had compassion. He didn't just appeal to the healthy. He looked for the sick and moved toward them. Whether it's the people of Israel, whether it were whether it's the Samaritans, whether it was the Romans, all nations are gathered to Jesus. Even though Israel and Rome kind of formed this alliance to get him crucified, even that does not stop his plan. He rises from the dead and he sends his disciples out. And you remember the commission he gave them. Go into all the world. Go, go proclaim the good news to all nations, every single one of them. Because he's the Lord over all of them. Jesus brought blessing. I mean, yes, God speaks through Jesus. And, and Jesus brought the blessing of God. Jesus brought, think about this, Jesus brought that dynamic power of God, bringing all of us, bringing this world to the full intention of what we were supposed to be. Jesus brought that personally. He broke the effects of the fall. So sin's dominion would just mean we would never reach our full potential, but Jesus broke sin's dominion over us. He broke the power of everything that would prevent us from looking more and more like him, even death. Jesus, through the work of the Spirit, is recreating us in his image. The Spirit's at work in us. And the more we look like Jesus, 
Think about this. The more you love God, the more you love your neighbor, the more you look like Jesus, the more you are exactly who you're supposed to be. Exactly what you're designed and created to be. This is the message. I mean, it's the teeth of letters like Romans and Ephesians and even the Revelation to John. Like God started this work with the family of Abram. Oh, but now it's extended. With Jesus, we see it extending to all the nations. Full disclosure here. I still am not too likely to have Amazon drop a book off to my door anytime soon on Sumerian culture. That's not going to happen. But I find myself today literally just, literally just kind of shaking my head, going, God, I understand why people might even use the word luck. Because there is something that just seems so improbable that God would see my family, God would see me and initiate his grace. Do you realize that God's moving towards you, speaking to you? If you do realize that, you have one move. You have one move, and that's to listen and respond to what he's telling you. To believe, to obey, to act, to wait, to avoid, to draw near, to endure, to love, to serve, to stop being conformed, start pursuing God's transformation of you. I mean, that's your move if you know God is speaking to you. That's your move. And have you realized that God has moved toward you in Jesus Christ with the intention to bless you? Well, if you've come to that realization, you also have one move, and that is to receive the blessing by completely relying on him for everything you have. I don't mean to make that sound easy. It's surely not cheap. But Jesus is worth everything you have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us. We stand astounded. May we never lose the wonder of the cross. If Abram was astonished that one day you called him and made a great family of his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, we're astonished for a day back in eternity past where you set your love on us, chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. Amazing love, how can this be? I pray we wouldn't just uh, know about you, Father, but Genesis would be paving the way for us to know you. I pray for that person that has, they think they've been searching, but ultimately you have tracked them down. I pray there would be 100% of us would rest our whole lives on you. Pray that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.